Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. As we often do here on our weekly uh, discussions at Chicago's Legal Latte, um, we're going to turn our attention this week to recent headlines. Uh, great, great story and a great timely conversation that we will have. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Jim Mitchell. Pleased to be back with you for another episode of uh, our focus here on matters of law. In the past week or so, the Illinois Supreme Court handed down a significant decision dealing with the use of biometric data. Uh, in this case, was the first test of a law passed not, not too long ago, and, and the result of this case, I think, is going to lead to other um, other claims being filed. We'll learn a little bit about that to to explain what happened and what the implications are. I welcome to the podcast for the first time today, uh, Lavelle Law Attorney Brian Massimino. Brian, good afternoon. Thanks for being here today. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Um, some time ago, Brian, I hosted one of your colleagues from Lavelle Law here on the podcast, and we at that time we discussed what was a new law dealing with biometric data. Um, mm-hmm. As listeners to this podcast have learned from past discussions, it's we, we often say that um, it's not until new laws are implemented that we really learn how effectively they were written. Um, so before we discuss the challenge to this law today, can you kind of recap what the law was really intended to do? Yeah, so uh, the statute that we're going to focus on today is is called the Biometric Information Privacy Act. It's often referred to in shorthand as BIPA for obvious reasons. And uh, Mm -hmm. the statute was enacted in in Illinois back in 2008. And again, uh, as you mentioned in the intro, we had a a recent Supreme Court decision uh, that has some strong bearing on on BIPA. But, But really, getting back to your question, the the objective of the statute was to regulate uh, the collection, use, and storage of biometric information. Um, and in, in doing that, Congress uh, recognized a few things um, of, of real importance are that biometrics and the use of them are growing in, in many business sectors, especially in security. Um, and what makes biometrics different is that by their very nature, they're biologically unique. And once they're compromised, really, there's no recourse because, um, you know, it's not like a Social Security number that could conceivably be changed if that were ever compromised. Um, and and the, the, the law recognizes that, you know, that there's just the public is wary of, of using them and, and the ramifications of that technology are not fully known. Well, before we go too far here, what, what, what do we mean when we say biometric data? Sure. So for the purposes of the statute to, to know the answer to that question, we first have to call, identify what are biometric identifiers. And, and these are okay. things, uh, the statute gives a list of a few, uh, retina scans, iris scans, <clears throat> fingerprints, voice prints, and things like facial geometry. Uh, those are specifically identified in the statute. And then biometric information 
uh, is any use of a biometric identifier to identify the actual individual. So that's how the statute identifies it. And, and you and I were just chatting a few minutes ago before we started here that it's not uncommon anymore, certainly, to to, to see this in use um, in government use. You know, as you gave a great uh, example of passports, where I think we're all used to scan at airports when we're doing applications. But is this becoming much more common in, in business applications now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the technology is really um, is is present and it's been there for a while, and the law is trying to catch up with technology. Uh, but but you often see things like um, businesses using fingerprint scanners for their employees to clock in and out. Uh, Facebook had a, a famous case where um, the facial geometry of of uh, Facebook users were, were identified or used to identify them in, in photographs. So it, it's really kind of a reflection of, of the use uh, and the prominence of the technology. Now, this particular case was, was kind of in our backyard here at, uh, at Six Flags. Um, what, um, what can you tell us about uh, the, the case itself and, and what, the, what the central point of it was? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So it was Six Flags Great America theme park in Gurnee, uh, and this, the, the, the case that was recently decided was Rosenbach versus Six Flags Entertainment Corp. And in that case, the plaintiff, the plaintiff's minor child actually, provided his thumbprint uh, to obtain a season pass for the theme park. And the idea was um, that every time that, and this is my understanding of how it would work, is every time he would go back to the theme park to gain admission, he would scan his thumb. Uh, and that would you know, verify that he's paid for the pass um, and, and, and provide him with access to the, uh, to the park. Um, and the, the allegation from the plaintiff was, well, you never got authorization from the parents or even from the minor, for that matter, to collect or store or use that thumbprint. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess I don't always literally getting too technical, but was was the challenge that the action violated the law, or was it the use of the data afterward that that violated the statute? Really, yes to both of your questions. I, mean, I, I guess if we look okay. at the parties' respective arguments, we can kind of dive into that and, and dissect it a bit. So, so the mm-hmm. plaintiff in in uh, Rosenbach argued, well, you never you never got my authorization. And BIPA, as a statute, requires signed, written consent to use and collect a biometric identifier like a thumbprint. And since Six Flags is a private entity, right there on its face, that's a clear violation of BIPA. Six Flags, on the other hand, they filed a motion to dismiss at the very, early, at the very outset of the case. And their argument was, well, plaintiff has to eventually prove that they were actually injured somehow beyond just a mere violation of the statute. And that was their defense. They, they, they tried to push the ball back on the plaintiff and say, you, know, you really have to show some kind of actual harm. For example, maybe Six Flags systems were hacked and that biometric information is, is now being misused by some third party. Um, but, but the Supreme Court um, 
the Supreme Court thought otherwise. They they ruled in favor of the plaintiff and against Six Flags. And talk a little bit more about what happened and uh, or what the the substance of the ruling was. Yeah, and and I, th- I think that's a great uh, great point there, and, and want to dig in a little bit. What we're talking is Brian Massimino, who's a guest here in Chicago's Legal Latte today. Brian joined Lavelle Law not too long ago, but uh, arrived with a uh, very outstanding reputation for his work, uh, but also for his generosity in providing pro bono services. He's been recognized for um, his professional efforts in that regard as well. Uh, he also spends some time as an instructor at Roosevelt University. You, you can learn all about this and, and his background when you visit LavelleLaw.com. Um, and I'm glad to have him with me here on the podcast today. So, so Brian, go, go back to that a little bit. So the the, sure. the position, if I understand it, of Six Flags was, yeah, okay, maybe this happened, but there was, there was no harm. There was nothing, you know, no... Uh, nothing that the the plaintiff suffered in any way by by having us do this, and and the Supreme Court didn't side with them. That's precisely right. Uh, the Supreme Court basically did a very deep analysis of the statute, the BIPA statute, and and what the Illinois legislature, what their intent was behind the statute, and the language that they chose and the language that they didn't choose, and the court basically came down and said. You know, when a private entity like Six Flags fails to comply with one of the statutory requirements, there is a violation of the plaintiff's rights, an invasion of the plaintiff's rights, period. And I, I think there, when I read the opinion for the first time, I underlined and highlighted a, a section that I think is really the heart of the case for me. And, and the quote is, when a private entity fails to adhere to PIPA, I'm sorry, BIPA, the right of the individual to maintain his or her biometric privacy vanishes into thin air. The precise harm the Illinois legislature sought to prevent is then realized. There is no mere technicality. The injury is real and significant. So that's a quote right from the, uh, from the case. And I, in my thinking, that's, that's really the heart of it. That's very direct. And, and I would assume that we can always, it's always hard to look ahead, but, I assume then this becomes a very significant precedent in this relatively new area of the law. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, and it, it kind of, the issues just start to kind of fan out from, from this decision forward. Um, first of all, there's the statute itself actually specifies the, the dollar amount of damages. Um, and so there's the immediate financial implications of, of, uh, of a claim under BIPA, it's a thousand dollars per violation if it's if it's negligent, and five thousand per violation if it's intentional or reckless. And then the prevailing party is also entitled to their reasonable attorney's fees and costs, and that's provided for by the statute. Uh, so that mm-hmm. you know just on its face is is significant. But then when you step back and look at uh, at the rest of it, you also see that there's uh, the potential for more class action cases against companies that, that utilize, uh, you know, collect, store, and use biometric information. And I, I think we'll see cases that were probably stayed pending the decision by the Supreme Court that are, they're going to move forward now because now they, they, the, the lower courts now know what the Illinois Supreme Court has to say on this issue. And then, Jim, beyond that, that there's, uh, there's some oh, – go ahead. Well, I, I, I just want to jump in because it, and I don't want to carbon date myself here, you know, in archaeological terms. But 
you know, years ago I, I worked in retail, and, and at that time to process a credit card, you know, we'd have to fill out a, a multi-sheet carbon copy form, take the card, <laughs> run it through a handheld imprinter, call a credit card company to get given the card number and the amount, and then a, an actual person would give us an approval number to be written on the form. Mm-hmm. Fingerprint mm-hmm. sounds a lot easier to me. I mean, should, should this decision sort of scare businesses away now from this technology? Well, um, I don't know that you should be scared away from it in its entirety. I think it's just a call to uh, certainly follow the statute to the letter of the law. Uh, I mean, obviously Congress, okay. the Illinois legislature anyway, thought it important enough to, to delineate some very specific requirements um, on, the behalf of, on behalf of businesses that intend to use this information. So it's not improper to use it, collect it, store it, um, it's, but you have to follow the statute to do that, and uh, the statute's pretty specific, and, it, and it, it, there's a long list of things. I, I don't think we'll get to all of them today, but you have to do things like and what the allegations in, in the Supreme Court case we were just talking about. They didn't provide or obtain informed written consent from the individual providing the biometric identifier, and that's kind of the, the, the original threshold here is businesses have to give the the customers or the employees the opportunity to opt out. Um, this is their private information, and it should be protected, um, and, and they should have the opportunity to opt out if they don't want to participate. So that's part yeah, of it. I'm, I mean, I'm going to have to let you go. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it, I just I want to get real quick, because you talked about the business perspective, and we got we got to wrap up here, but quickly from a consumer perspective, uh, is that ability to opt out one of the key things as consumers we should know as we start to encounter this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that comes across the board with technology and, um, you know, the, the rights of privacy that we maintain and, and that we are readily able to, to, to give those away and click a box and, and move on. Um, but, you know, Congress has basically said that that has to be done uh, to stay in compliance with the statute. So, so the businesses need to know that. And, of course, uh, consumers and employees uh, should know that, that those are their rights as well. Well, great, great first conversation with Lavelle Law Attorney Brian Massimino today, and I really thank him for being here and digging in this topic with us a little bit, and I think it's one we'll talk about again down the road, and certainly look forward to having him back with us. Again, if, if you would like to go get a little more guidance from Brian on this or, or other topics, uh, 847-705-7555 is the Lavelle Law main number, and of course, LavelleLaw.com has plenty of information as well. Thanks, Brian. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Look forward to talking to you again soon.